Good evening. Good afternoon, Good buddy. Evening. It's been a bit since we've been together, but I'm really glad to be back. Bless you. Bless you, Jamie. But we've been struggling with sickness and just the crud going around. But we are resuming our study this evening with the subject of special revelation. So this is one lesson, part of that series of studies on theocracy, divine healing, sign gifts like tongues and prophecy and, and all of that good stuff. So basically the charismatic movement in general and how we as believers should go back to the Bible's our standard and discern what is of God and what is not of God. So today uh, we're specifically talking about the prophets and the apostles. So there are a lot of people today who think that there are current prophets and apostles of the same kind that existed 2000 mm -hmm. years ago. And, you know, I, I don't know a lot of names, but I know that triple dollar. I don't know, <laughs> but Bethel is one particular church where you have people claiming to That's be true. prophets and apostles. And, and those are, those are churches that have a lot of influence because of music and, and because they're called know, influencers church. Yes. They're, they're very influential. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, Whenever you find someone who gets caught up in all of that, you got loved ones or family members uh, or just friends, people that you know who get really into that, um, what do you do? What do you point them to in the Word of God? So today we're going to look at a few verses, but the first one we've talked about a little bit already, but we're going to start there. And excuse me if I sound a little stuffy because I am, but turn to 1 Corinthians 13, and we are going to look back over this prophecy, which talks about tongues and prophecies ceasing and we're just going to review very quickly different views about how to interpret this and then we're going to talk more broadly about special revelation the way god reveals himself to us and prophecy and the gift of apostle go right along with that okay so in first corinthians chapter 13 verse 8 it says charity never faileth but whether there be prophecies they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Notice the analogy that he uses in verse number 11, when I was a child. So he's comparing the knowledge we have now, which is immature knowledge, just like a child in a relationship with their parents has incomplete knowledge and they ask questions. And often the parent will say, you're not ready for that yet. Mm. That's something that you'll learn later on. And we as Christians, I think need to humble ourselves often and realize that we are still children and the knowledge we have is partial. So we are going to struggle with that. Just like kids get bothered whenever we tell them, no, I'm not answering that question. When they say why we just say, that's the way it is. And mm -hmm. one day you'll understand. And God says the exact same thing. That's what Paul's telling us here. One day we'll have the perfect, complete knowledge. We'll grow to adulthood in terms of our spiritual nature. And so Right now, 
we're dealing with partial knowledge. But prophecies and tongues, as exciting as they may sound to a lot of people, they are still only partial. Um, it mentions tongues specifically here, uh, failing, or sorry, uh, let me correct myself there, yes, ceasing, yes. And that's important because in the Greek here, it's in uh, the middle. Uh, so you have middle, you have passive, and you have active. Uh, and the middle here refers to tongues ceasing of themselves. So it's different from prophecy. It's different from knowledge. Uh, so the Greek is setting tongues apart. And most people who study this and they get down to the original language, they'll point out that this is implying that tongues are going to pass away on their own. So prophecy and knowledge, those are going to be done away with. And that is probably referring to when Jesus comes back. So the gift of prophecy, uh, the knowledge that we have already of God's word, those things are going to become obsolete when we have the perfect, when we have Christ with us. And he is going to give us all the revelation that we can get our hands on rather than the partial that we're dealing with now. Tongues, on the other hand, it seems like before Jesus comes back, it's already going to pass away on its own. So it seems to be set apart as having a particular purpose that gets fulfilled before the others. So this makes me wonder, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if tongues will even be around in the tribulation. We've talked about how after the rapture happens, there'll be a revival of sign gifts. Uh, I don't know any evidence that tongues will be around at that time. It could be that tongues was around as a sign of judgment. We talked about in first Corinthians, uh, Paul discusses tongues he goes back to Isaiah 28 and, and shows the connection there that tongues, the foreign language, is a sign that judgment is coming. And so if that judgment has already come, and it did 2,000 years ago, then that would mean tongues have fulfilled their purpose and they ceased on their own. On the other hand, prophecy and uh, these other gifts such as healing, and we could even add exorcism to that, I think that we're definitely going to see those things in the tribulation, uh, we'll talk about exorcism on another night because that's part of the demonology series that we're doing. It's a short three part series. And so we're talking about that stuff on Wednesday nights. But as far as healing and prophecy go, I have no doubt that those are going to have a big role to play in the tribulation. Mm. I don't know that tongues will be used in the tribulation as a gift. So I'm not sure about that. We have um, Google Translate now. Yeah, we do have Google Translate, don't we? <laughs> so maybe maybe tongues will be used for evangelistic purposes. We were doing but tongues this morning. <laughs> yeah, we were. Yeah, say, eh? yeah, exactly. We were talking in our redneck French, my redneck French. And so uh, I was using Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, Scott, he's really brushing up on his French. Well, it's funny because as we were, I was doing, I looked it up and I was like, yeah, I think that's what I would have written. Probably, I wouldn't have had the uh -huh, the yeah right. yeah yeah but i was like yeah i know what that word means i know what that word means i knew all the words but google translate put it all together there you go so we got google translate translate so, of the verbs yeah i don't know if tongues will really have a practical purpose in the tribulation it might as the witnesses are going out to the gentile nations it could right but it, it seems to be in first corinthians 13 that tongues fulfills its purpose and before these other sign gifts pass tongues ceases just it fulfills its purpose and then it goes away. Uh, and historically, by the way, early church fathers noted that too. So it seems to be a well-recognized fact until really the modern charismatic movement that, that tongues, you know, it 
it passed away, it yeah. ceased naturally because it fulfilled its purpose. And it wasn't needed anymore, really. Yeah, it wasn't right? it wasn't needed anymore, especially when we consider again it was to the, the unbelieving Jews and and it pertained to seventy AD. Yes. But uh let let's uh Talk about the perfect here. So again, I've talked about this before on our website, Ark of Hope Jasper. I do have a paper about this. I go into it in real detail. If you want to get into some deep theology and word studies, you can read the paper. But when it mentions the perfect coming, a lot of people will say, okay, this is the second coming. And and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Mm. Uh, I would think the eternal state is probably what's being referred to. Because even the millennium, you know, you're going to have people in natural bodies who are coming up to Jerusalem. They're learning about God. They're, they're still learning and they're still acquiring knowledge. When we reach the eternal state, it's like we've we've reached the end of the road. And mm. now as far as we know. Yeah. I mean, and, and, well, the Bible says this is the eternal state. This right. is the new heaven, new earth. And and yes, no doubt we'll continue to learn. But there'll be nothing withheld from us at that yes. point. It's all at our fingertips. It's just, you know, eternity, you know, going through it all. Yes. Right. And so I think that it's probably the eternal state being referred to here. But some people say, OK, well, if this is referring to the end times, which I agree, they'll say that means that tongues and prophecy and not supernatural knowledge. I think knowledge here does refer to uh as the apostles received special knowledge from the Lord and they wrote, you know, Paul talks about the mysteries that, you know, God revealed to him. So they'll say that kind of stuff is in the church today. So we have modern day apostles, modern day prophets. We have tongues speaking today. Well, that's not necessarily true just because there's going to be a revival of these things whenever the rapture takes place and God resumes his program with with the Jews doesn't mean that we should see an uninterrupted um uh, an uninterrupted age of sign gift activity where mm. you know it's basically the same as the acts period so that's assuming something that's yeah. reading into the text that's not there and if we look at other scriptures we can see that that's not the case so uh when it talks about the eternal state um uh, as the perfect i do think that indicates that prior to that in the end times after the rapture, whenever God is giving the kingdom offer once again to the Jewish people, and they will accept it this time around, I think that we're going to see prophecy at that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't agree with some people, Presbyterians, and uh, uh, specifically amillennial Presbyterians, yeah. who believe that tongues and prophecy, they've ceased completely. You're never going to see them again. I do think we'll see them again. I, I just think that it's it's connected to the kingdom program. And right now, the kingdom program isn't enforced because the church age is what we're in. And You're the, saying that the cessationism is based on the... Um, 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 dispensation. I think that it's it's partial. It's partially that. Yes, I think there's two reasons. I think that generally, when people argue that apostles and a pro- and uh, sorry, prophets and apostles are not around anymore, uh, they'll they'll go to verses like Ephesians two twenty. We'll look at that in a minute, and they'll say, okay, that's part of the foundation. It was laid two thousand years ago. We're not going to see him again. I agree with that argument up to a point. Uh, however, we know the church age will end. With the rapture, the church is taken to heaven and then God is doing something new. If you go back to Daniel chapter nine, the 70 weeks, right? so you have 69 weeks. That's Israel, 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 Israel. Church isn't there for the 69 weeks. Okay. No, no. And then, and then you have Jesus come, he's cut off and then the temple's destroyed. And then the 70th week, well, what's the 70th week? The antichrist. Uh All right. So there's clearly a gap between what happened. At the end of the 69th week, mm-hmm. 2,000 years ago, 
and what is going to happen whenever the Antichrist appears. And I love so, that Clarence Larkin chart that shows what the prophets saw and that the church age was a valley. So yes, exactly. But they didn't see the church age. And that's a really good analogy, I think. I agree with it. Tim Hayes used the same one. So we're, we're in that gap period. So whenever we get to the 70th seven or 70th week, I do think we're going to see a resumption of these sign mm. gifts, you know, just as we saw 2000 years ago in the Acts period for 40 years, the apostles are offering the kingdom again. Uh, it's an interesting 40 years. I always like to, to go back and review that time period because it's a fascinating one, not just because of the book of Acts, but even Jewish sources outside the Bible talk about this time period. They, they mention how they would shut the gates uh, to the temple and the, the, the gates kept coming open. So they kept shutting the gates and the gates kept coming open on their own. Uh, it was huh. like, it was like in, in a sense, like God's leaving, you yeah. know? And, and, and so that was an on, ominous thing. And that's not mentioned in any Christian source that's outside Christian right. sources, which is interesting. And then they talk about how, oh yeah, the, the scarlet cord during the day of atonement, it stopped turning white for 40 years. And, uh, they kept trying to keep the Western lamp from going out, but every time they make sure there was plenty of oil in it to get through the night, every morning they'd come and check and it'd be out despite all their attempts to keep it lit. So it was like during that time period, God is indicating that he he's displeased with the people because they've rejected his son. But at the same time, you have people like Peter and Paul and the other apostles preaching to them saying, if you repent that he'll come back from heaven, he'll restore, you know, the kingdom to Israel. And so you get this, this idea that judgment's coming, but at the same time, there's a way out. Um, and of course they didn't take God up on that offer. And so that's why instead of at the end of the 40 years, the kingdom comes, the temple's destroyed. And, you know, and I, again, I think that this is something that Paul, and we'll talk about this also tonight, but Paul, I think he knew it was coming. I think he could see in his ministry that the Jews were not being receptive. The Gentiles were towards the end of Acts and Acts 28. He's like, I'm going to the Gentiles, right. you know, because y'all are hard hearted. You're stiff necked. You're not listening to me. And, and that was around 60 see if I can get this right. I was at 62 AD. So that's only, uh, let's see, uh, four years before the Jewish Roman war began. Right. right. I mean, so he, right towards the end of that period, he's saying like, y'all are clearly not ready to repent, you know, like you're willfully rejecting that. Yeah. So anyways, I think sure. that Paul knew, mm -hmm. he knew that it wasn't going to happen. I'm pretty sure that he was enlightened enough to see that the kingdom wasn't going to come at the time. And that's why, you know, he has a lot to say about the Gentile church, because that's what you're going to get used to for the next yeah. 2000 years. Right. You know, that's, that's what we're in right now. Uh, but again, I think that special revelation, and this is what first Corinthians 13 is about. You can get into a real deep theology and that's what we're doing in this series, but we don't want to forget something that it says in verse number 12. Now I know what part, but then I shall no, even as I'm also known, this is a personal thing. Revelation isn't just facts, right? I don't want anybody who's listening to this to think that special revelation, not the book, like all the Bible, all of what God has revealed to us. It's not just a bunch of facts. That's fun. Like we like to talk about in times, we like to talk about angels and, and what we can know about the spiritual realm. And those are interesting things, but ultimately what we're so excited about as Christians is a relationship with God. And special revelation is God reaching out this communion. We had it severed, you know, at the garden of Eden. 
And uh, we, we're homesick. You know, we want to know the God who made us as Christians, you know, the, the Savior who's redeemed us. And so we cling to the word of God because this is all we have right now. Right, yeah. You know, and even even if you were living in the Acts period when Paul wrote this, it's like all this stuff that we have, prophecy and tongues, which is unique mm-hmm. uh, to that time period, uh, it's still only partial, right? I mean, we are longing for the day where, you know, our faith becomes sight. But as far as why that period was so unique, well, theocratic Israel, theocracy is something that we're going to keep coming back to in this series. Think of how unique Israel was, okay? Because in amillennial thinking, they try to downplay the difference between Israel and the church. They'll basically say that it's the church in the Old Testament, that's Israel. But what did Israel have that we don't have today? They had a focal point centered on uh, a particular land, particular mount called Mount Zion. They had a temple, only one temple, not many. And God was in that temple and God was ruling from his throne above the cherubim, above the mercy seat. Mm. And, and that's not something that we can do today. We can't go anywhere in the world and find a place like that. So God is in his church. He's invisibly in his church. And so we're walking, talking temples of God, which is awesome to think about that, the, the relational aspect of that, to know that God's you know abiding within us. But they had this special privilege that other nations didn't have. So they had a taste of the kingdom. I mean, there will be one day where God, he is on a mountain, right? The new Jerusalem is going to come down. I don't think that we'll ever be separated from the Holy Spirit. I think God's going to always be in us forever because he's omniscient and he's going to be inside believers in a special way. That's part of our sonship. You know, that's part of being born again. But in a special way, he is going to be sitting on his throne at the top of that mountain in the new Jerusalem, right? They had a taste of that in Israel and nobody else had that. Right. And it's not like that today. So when we think about all the prophecies and all the miracles that these people did, Elijah calling down the fire and, you know, uh, Solomon, when he's dedicating the temple, the glory cloud entering into the Holy of Holies and and all the prophets and their preaching and, and their ministries, that's a unique setup. And so when today people talk about prophets and apostles like it's a normal thing, right, it's just something that, you know, the church has and it's always had i think that it shows a little ignorance of how unique the situation was at that time period so in the old testament you know god has a special relationship with israel he doesn't have with anybody else and then in the new testament while things had changed a little bit you know the the temple was destroyed and it was rebuilt and god didn't quite come back to that temple in the same way he didn't fill it with the glory cloud but he was still there speaking through prophets i mean haggai malachi zachariah these are all prophets from the second temple period. And so God's still speaking to him and he, he hasn't severed, you know, himself from his people. He hasn't cast them off and, uh, he still has some communion with them. The other nations don't have mm-hmm. and miracles are being performed in the temple. Uh, those miracles, again, they happened even after they rejected Jesus for 40 years. And this is like, you know, God's telling him, you got a chance here, repent or judgment's going to come like it has before in Israel past. But, uh, they had that special relationship with God and that was not meant to be, you know, you know, a constant reminder of coming judgment. That was because of their hard heartedness. That was because of their rebellion, but it was meant to be like, you have a special privilege. God is in your midst. This is a special thing that, you know, you shouldn't think you're better than the other nations because of it. You should just be thankful, right? That you have this special relationship with God. No one else does. So that's one of the reasons why we shouldn't think that 
prophets and apostles is just a normal thing that we should expect, you know, at any given time in history, because we see that the apostles and the prophets, they are part of that theocratic Israel. I mean, even the apostles, all of them were Jews. And so we do see God going beyond them. Right. I mean, to the Gentiles, right. whenever the kingdom is being offered to the Jews during that same time period where the Jews are being given their chance for 40 years, uh, many Gentiles are given the gift of prophecy and many of them are speaking in tongues. OK, so why are the Gentiles getting this? Because God is letting the Gentiles know that while I have a plan for Israel, OK, and I haven't cast them off and I'm going to have a plan for them in the future. OK, as we see in the book of Revelation. Uh, ultimately God's bringing us to this eternal state where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And it's just the bride of Christ. Yeah, that's right. And so this communion that's suggested by special revelation, by prophecy and tongues, being able to, to talk with God, have that more direct access to him. He's giving that not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles during this, this transitionary period in acts. So that way everybody knows that the kingdom is not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. It is, it is coming through the Jews. And that's why Jesus, even in the gospel of John, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, salvation is of the Jews. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the the Jews do have a priority uh, in terms of God's program and his plan. But you know, when all is said and done, the new Jerusalem is not like the old Jerusalem. It's not centered around ethnic Israel. It's about the Israel of God. Okay. All believers from all ages, regardless of ethnicity. And so all of that is being, you know, potently suggested as Gentiles in the Acts period are speaking in tongues and healing and doing these other things. But uh, again, it all goes back to that theocracy. That's a unique time period. And think about the Noahic covenant. I want to talk about that before the flood happened. This is something that it blew me away when I realized it before the flood. Go back to the, the Bible stories you learned as a kid. Think of Cain after he kills Abel. God speaks to Cain and Cain doesn't seem surprised. And, right. and, and it says when he was banished, he was away from the presence of the Lord. And a lot of people take that, oh, well, spiritually, he was away from God's presence. He was out of fellowship with him, not saved. Those ideas, no doubt, are, are, are possible. I don't know if he was saved or unsaved. For certain, he was out of fellowship with God. But when it says he went away from the presence of the Lord, this is probably referring to God's actual presence. Yeah. At the east of the garden, where he was there in fire, accompanied by the cherubim, just like he was over the cherubim in the temple. These are actual cherubim, and he's there with them. They're they're his his guards, his sentinels, and they probably came up before the Lord. It says they came up before the Lord to offer to him. So come up before the Lord is the same kind of language you have whenever they come up before the Lord in the temple. Right. So God was there. I mean, if you were to go back to the pre-flood world, there is a focal point or localized point where God is dwelling. Mm. And I, I wonder even how they, before, even up, up until the flood, as far, saying? as far as we know now, I mean, it, it doesn't tell us when God's presence left. I think though, that we can draw a parallel between that and Ezekiel 10. When does God's presence leave the temple mm. before the temple's destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. So how long before? Not very long before. Okay. I mean, it says Ezekiel saw it happen and Ezekiel was living during that time period. Okay. So I, I believe that probably uh, God's presence left uh, before the flood because the flood wiped out Eden. 
Eden was just as much a part of the world as everything else. Uh, and I doubt that, you know, God is submerged in the waters just as God wasn't in the temple when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Right. But and so, again, we don't know for sure how long God's presence abided, but we know that it, it was still there when Cain left. And it was probably a place where I think believers met and they worship God. It's not um, mentioned though, like it's not mentioned at well, all after Cain, right? Basically. It's not, but it says he went away. It doesn't say the presence went away. He did. So I mean, that implies that the people who are living in that area, I mean, like yeah. Adam and Eve and the others, they're still able to come before God and offer to Him, just like they had before. They just didn't write it down. Maybe what's that now? I, I said maybe they just didn't write it down. I'm just like I'm just thinking that through. It's like why why don't they say? Yeah, you it's, know, it's and a, then Adam went before the Lord. Yeah, it's an inference. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean they it's. Don't, they don't say that Cain and Abel were told to sacrifice either, but obviously they were. Yeah, yeah. it's what a, there's acceptable sacrifice exactly. Was. There's clearly some instructions that God has given them that are not mentioned because sure. He doesn't tell them how to sacrifice. And a lot of people say, "Oh, well, they just knew." I don't know. I doubt it. I think yeah, that okay. Right. Uh, when when did they come to this conclusion that we need to go before God? On occasion, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. not just once, but it seems that it was time to go before the Lord. So this is something they did regularly, and they sacrificed. So why did they do this? Probably because they were told to, just right. like the Jews were told to in the temple. I mean, the law wasn't instituted at the time, mm -hmm. but I mean, they no doubt had ways to come before God and worship, just as you know we do. Uh, but after the flood, we don't see any instance until we get to Abraham. Of God's presence being local right. again. In fact, when it talks about Babel, it says, God said, let us come down and see what they're doing. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. It, it seems, and again, I don't, it's just speculation on my part, but as I was thinking about this, it's interesting because before the flood, we know that there were prophets, right? Yeah. And I've wondered, okay, so we know there are prophets. Why were there prophets then and not now? Hmm. Okay, so that I, I see that there could be an argument someone could use like, well, they had prophets, they had Enoch and they had Methuselah and they had Noah. So sure. why don't we have prophets like that today? They'd say. And of course, a charismatic might use that as as proof to say, well, well, well we do have prophets, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so but again, is the pre-flood era a normal, ordinary time period or is there something unique about it? And again, when you go back to the beginning of that time period. And again, we don't know how long, you know, this state of things persisted, but you know, Cain and Abel are adults. Yes. And other children have been born to Adam and Eve at Absolutely. this point. Mm -hmm. And so for, for at least a hundred years, yeah. they've been hanging out in that area and they've been worshiping God that way. Mm. And so why, uh, why would God eventually leave for the same reason he eventually left the temple? The sin of the Israelites was so much that the temple was going to be destroyed, so he left it. And before the flood, the sin of the, the people of the world was so much that he decided to leave it. And, of course, he he still got a plan just like he had a plan after the temple was destroyed. He didn't wipe out the people completely. They had, there was a remnant. And uh, Noah and his family were the remnant when the flood wiped out the world. Right. And, and just as God sent prophets to the Israelites after they rebuilt the temple, but he didn't fill the temple the second time. God spoke to Noah after the flood right? and he, and Noah prophesied about his sons. Like, you know, after they saw or, uh, ham, uh, yeah, saw his thing. nakedness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After that, like he does utter a prophecy. It's clearly a prophecy. So, you know, there, there is a time there where God is not dwelling among them like he did before, but he's still not done with them. 
right? I mean, he's still giving them information. So again, when, when I'm trying to think about prophets and apostles and I'm thinking about the whole history of the Bible, let's take it all in. You have to ask yourself, why are we without prophets when in all these other periods you see it's them? It's been there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, you know, I think about the pre-flood world. That's 1,600 years roughly, okay? Well, that's a unique time period because God's presence was among the people in a way that he's not now. I mean, there's nowhere in the world where you could go and it's like, hey, there's Eden, there's a fire right there. We can't go in there, all right? Mm. That's unique. Uh, so then there's after Babel, okay, what happens next? The next way that we see God working and speaking is Abraham. Yeah. That's when he takes up his theocratic plan for Israel. And so where is God speaking through prophets? Mm. In any nation? No, through Abraham, through his people, through Israel. Okay, and then we have that all the way up until what? The time of Christ. Right. And so before the flood, God's presence was among the people. After the flood, his presence is among Israel. Yes. And so now where is his presence? Well, as far as visible, it's not on earth right now. I mean, we're awaiting it. He's visible in heaven and one day he's going to visibly appear. So again, we are living in a unique time period uh, compared to these other dispensations, you could say. Uh, but one of the, one of the basic reasons why I don't think you should expect, um, God to continue speaking through prophets and apostles is because in Ephesians two twenty it says, and I'm going to read it for you. It's a really important verse as far as the debate's concerned. Um, I think it's Samuel Waldron wrote a whole book based on this verse, and it's a pretty easy read, but he makes a good case that this proves that prophecy and apostleship has ceased. But it says in Ephesians 2.20, actually, I'll start in verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. So Peter also uses the same analogy uh, in 1 Peter, but you're growing up into this building. When does the building grow? How does it grow? Well, every time someone gets saved, uh, Peter talks about us as stones that make up this edifice. Well, anytime someone gets saved, a new stone is added. So this building is continually being built up. Hey, yeah, living stones until we reach the fullness of Gentiles that Paul talks about in Revelation or not Revelation, sorry, Romans 11. And that's, of course, when the rapture will happen. And of course, I believe many people will get saved after the rapture, too. That's you know another topic for another day. But the point is, it says we're being built upon the foundation. Mm. So all the living stones, all the believers that exist today, they're built on the foundation. They're not the foundation. It's mm. a completely different nature. The apostles weren't just stones built on the foundation. They, along with New Testament prophets, uh, and there were prophets in the New Testament that weren't called apostles. Okay, right. uh, there was one that uh, prophesied that Saul would be, you know, carried away to Rome um, as a prisoner. His name was Agabus. He's mentioned in Acts. So there, there were prophets that didn't have the same authority level of status, you could say. Even, as, um, um, we were just talking about when Jesus was born. Um, Simeon. Simeon and Anna. Anna. Yeah. Prophets. Exactly. Uh, so you had prophets like that that weren't apostles, but these right here we know are specifically prophets 
from the Acts period after Jesus died, because it says that he's the the chief cornerstone and in uh, the apostles is mentioned first. So if you were going to talk about Old Testament prophets, if that's what was being referred to, then it would be prophets and apostles, mm-hmm. but it's apostles and prophets. And so most scholars that I know of uh, that have thoroughly looked at this will say, yeah, this is talking about the New Testament gift of prophecy, because it does mention in Ephesians, I think it's, see, it's Ephesians four, I believe. Uh, yeah. in in verse uh, 11 of chapter four, it says he gave some apostles and some prophets, same right. order there. So he's talking about people who've received the gift of the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended to heaven and they have the gift of prophecy. So those people are the foundation because they were giving revelation that everybody built upon. So if you weren't an apostle and you weren't a prophet and you wanted to know something about God, like I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Jesus. How do I live my life? What's proper church government? What's sound doctrine? The apostles and the prophets were what you built your doctrinal understanding on. That's what you built everything on. And Christ was the cornerstone because he's the one commissioning them, right? It's not just these people speaking of themselves. Peter said that, you know, no prophet has ever spoken of their own accord. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a private interpretation. They're carried along by the Holy Spirit. But the point is this foundation is historical. It's not ongoing. It happened 2000 years ago. What is ongoing is the building up of living stones on the foundation. So this is a really good argument. That since the foundation is at the base of the building, it's not being laid again and again Mm -hmm. and again and again, which would mean that the generation we are in now is very far removed from that foundation, even though we rely upon it as we study scripture like we're doing now. So I think that uh, like with the Noahic covenant, uh, God wasn't going to reveal himself to the nations uh, in the same way he did before the flood. Um, and so he's giving them a way to relate to him. Now he's, it's a new dispensation. It's a new age. Something is happening. It's a big change. So in chapter nine, um, he gives them the Noahic covenant. This is like, this is the ground rules. Okay. I'm laying the foundation. All right. So all nations need to build upon this. Now, sadly they don't. Okay. And that's why, you know, we as the American nation, instead of thinking that we're like new Israel, we need to go back to the covenant that actually pertains to us. You know, that's not the Mosaic covenant. That would be the Noahic one. But the whole point is God doesn't continually speak to the nations like he spoke to Ham, Shem, and Japheth at right. that time. He doesn't keep sending them more prophets and more information. Right. He gave it to them at that historic point because everything's changing now. You're entering a new age. And we're still in that, by the way. The Noahic covenant is still in force today. Same thing with the church. So God had more to say than he did with Noah. With Noah, the Noahic covenant was apparently one time he spoke to him after they got off the ark mm-hmm. and uh, Noah had a prophecy to make after he, you know, was drunk and naked. And we don't have any more information given mm-hmm. that is involved in that Noahic covenant. Now, for the church age, the apostles lived for a number of years and they, and they wrote a lot of books right. from AD 50 to AD 100. So for 50 years. It took that foundation to be laid, but that foundation, now that it's been completed, it sets the pace for this church age that we're in today, just as the Noahic covenant, when it was late, it sets the pace for everything that's happened since then. So the idea that we need to keep having apostles and prophets, I just don't, I don't see, um, from scripture that that's necessary and verses like Ephesians two twenty. Strongly suggests to me 
that God, because we're not in the kingdom yet, is not going to act like we are in the kingdom. Now, if we were in the kingdom, we would be walking and talking with Jesus, just like Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the garden. We're clearly not there yet. So right now we're what Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 15 as children. We haven't grown up yet. When we get to the kingdom, we'll be grown and we'll be in heaven and we can ask the Lord anything we want. We can have that communion. We can have that fellowship. But until then, he does what he did with the people in the days of Noah. This is how it's going to be. He does the same thing he did with the church over the course of those 50 years from 50 to 100 AD. Here's what you need to know until I come back. And once revelation was written and the last period was placed, that's it. Like that's all we need from this point on uh, until the church program reaches its end. We're raptured and our faith becomes sight. And the people who are on earth, they're going to receive just like Noah, just like the church, they're going to receive new dispensational information. And that information is going to be, hey, it's been 2000 years roughly, because I think we're pretty close to that time. But hey, it's been, let's assume it happens in our time. 2000 years ago, my apostles and my prophets were preaching the kingdom and y'all rejected it. Mm -hmm. But here I am, your God, I haven't forgotten you. Okay, Jesus is the Messiah. He's my son. You believe in him and the kingdom will come. And guess how they'll respond this time? We'll respond in belief. Right. And so along with that will be the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, we saw the Holy Spirit poured out partially. It was just, you know, I think it was like, what, a total of, um, let's see if I have the number up here. I don't know if I have it up here, but there was, let's see. Acts 2.41 and Acts 4.4 give you some verses that give you numbers. I think it was like 2,000 and then there was another 3,000. It's like a total of 5,000 early on. So Pentecost and the the following, Mm -hmm. you know, weeks there, there was like a total of 5,000 people that got saved. But 5,000, when you're considering all the Jews in Judea and all the diaspora Jews, it's nothing hardly. Uh, So the Holy Spirit that was poured out then, if that sounds pretty awesome to us, imagine how awesome it's going to be when all of the Jews, when I say all, not without exception, but as a whole, when the Jewish people as a nation, when they repent, um, it's going to be even more Pentecostal. So unlike, you know, some cessationists, I believe it's going to get really Pentecostal. But based on the dispensations and the way God has been working uh, throughout history, I think we can expect it to happen whenever Daniel's 70th week begins. Mm. And uh, now if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, then you could say, well, we might see some of this stuff. We might be left behind long enough to see it happen. I believe in a pre-trib rapture. So I think we're going to see it, but we're going to see it heaven side. Um, But anyways, the main thing that I wanted to get to tonight, and I hope that it made sense to you if you're listening to this, um, that there are two main reasons why special revelation happened then and not now. One, God was still working with Israel as his theocratic special people. Since 70 AD, the branches were severed, according to Romans 11, because they were severed, that communion they had with God, the temple, the priesthood that represented him, uh, the prophets who spoke, the apostles who were Jews and also representing the God of Israel, all of that came to an end when the people of Israel turned their back on God. Now, God has not turned his back on them. Okay. Praise God, because that reminds us of our own securities believers, but uh, we can expect based on those facts 
that we won't be seeing prophecy in tongues right now, because again, those things are part of the special revelation that uh, deal with the kingdom and the Jewish people throughout their history in the old Testament. And early on in the Acts period, they had uh, a closer relationship with God that gave them a foretaste of the kingdom. And, and second, the second point is, and this is the most simple one, the theocracy is a lot more complicated to wrap your mind around, and I'm still studying it. But um, Ephesians 2.20 is pretty simple. It gives you a clear-cut illustration. We're the living stones. That's our role in the church age. At the beginning of the church age, you had the apostles and the prophets. Okay, They're back then. We're now. And so we should not refer to any Christian leader as apostle or prophet. And uh, when we talk about prophecy... We ought to be talking about the Bible. So when someone asks me, like, do you believe in prophecy? Well, yeah, there's a whole lot of it right here in this book. You know, so I do believe in prophecy and I believe that prophecy is being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're seeing that around us all the time. But um, as far as the gift of prophet, that's part of the foundation. So anyways, I think that's a compelling argument. And as always, if you're listening to this, know that there is a place where you can on Podbean comment on any of our podcasts. And I mean, I check them periodically and so far I haven't seen any comments. So if you have a question, you can either email us through our website, you can comment on Podbean, and I'd be happy to answer your question. If something I say doesn't make sense to you and you want to know more, but you can comment on YouTube. So there's lots of ways you can ask questions if you want to, uh, next week, just to give you an idea of what we'll talk about, we're going to look at Paul's letters and see if there's evidence that even towards the end of his ministry, the gift of healing may have been ceasing gradually. Mm. So rather than it's just like, boom, it's gone. There may have been indications in Paul's later letters that the gift of healing is starting to become null and void um, because he, he has some people that he talks to and you're like, Paul, why didn't you heal them? Like you were healing all these people. Like, why didn't you heal them? Why didn't you heal Timothy of his stomach? You know, why? And there was another person that he said, I left sick and I forget his name. You have to, we'll read those verses, but you, you see some stuff that it's like, huh, Paul, why didn't you heal them? And then you look at when the letters were written. They were written after Acts 28, when Paul clearly states y'all have rejected Christ. And it seems to be that there's this shift in focus. We're going away from the Jews offering them the kingdom. And now we're going to the Gentiles and we're talking eternal life to them because we're going into the church age. Now the kingdom age, it looks like we're going to have to wait on that because the Jewish people are refusing to listen. And you see around the same time that his emphasis shifts, no longer is he talking about first to the Jew and then to the Greek. He's now just talking to people about eternal life, you know, Gentiles mainly, but you you don't see that upfront to the Jew first emphasis and at the same time, in those those letters, he says comments about healing that makes you wonder if it ceased at this why, point. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so anyways, I'm not the only one who's pointed this out. I've read several articles of people who've argued the same, but we'll talk about that more next week and we'll look at the verses in question. So please come back and listen to us next time. God bless.